0: You're listening to the podcast series for Women Vision SC 2020, a production of South Carolina Public Radio. I'm Linda O'Brien. We'll hear interviews from some remarkable women from across the state. They were nominated by our listeners. Join us now with one of the 11 Women of Vision SC. This week, we talk with Kathy Hughes. For the past 48 years, she has worked at The Times and Democrat in Orangeburg. In 1999, she was named publisher, the first woman to lead the enterprise. We have seen a lot of cutbacks in newspapers and consolidation. How have you done what you've done and had the success and longevity?
1: Well, we work hard every day. We're seven-morning-a-week newspaper and we partner with the community on many things. We have lots of community support, and we're just dedicated to what we do. We feel that local journalism is vital and try to do the best job at that that we can in an ever-changing environment, change, should be part of our name, I guess. But we feel we've been somewhat successful. We have a business side that brings in the resources so that we can continue to produce the product that we do to serve the community.
0: Take us back to the year you started in 1972. 1972. What happened and what was your perspective?
1: Well, I've said many times at a small daily newspaper you get to do many jobs. Nothing, though, could have prepared us for what did happen in October that year when, on a Sunday afternoon, I actually got a call from the society editor who said, Kathy, the Times and Democrats on fire. So I live in North South Carolina. My husband and I rushed to Orangeburg and along with everybody else, we stood across the street and watched smoke coming out of the building. But we all went to work. We actually had a meeting that night You know, and our longtime publisher, Dean Livingston, said, don't worry about your jobs. We need you more than ever now. And we had a paper the next morning delivered.
0: How did you do the paper, write it, publish it? Where did you go? We had a two story building.
1: It did not burn down, but it had to end up being torn down. I actually went in the ground floor, And at that time, we didn't use computers. The ads were pasted up for Monday's paper. A few pages were done, and we were able to pull those pages and those ads out, and a handful of our people went to Sumter, the daily item. We always had a good working relationship with the friends in Sumter, and they printed us that night. But most amazing of all, one of our photographers found a plane and a pilot and took an aerial photo of our building burning. So that was on the front page the Monday morning after the fire. We located temporarily in a a vacant hotel in Orangeburg, stayed there a couple weeks, and then worked out of another building miraculously our press you don't just go out and buy a press this press had been ordered by another newspaper they let us have it it was erected in 30 days and i do have a photo of the concrete block walls of the press room being laid as the press is being erected so everything was with us after that fire it did not rain We were back printing in Orangeburg. But before that, we printed during the week in Sumter and on the weekends in Rock Hill.
0: When did you come back then? A little over a month. Over a month, just a month. Mm -hmm. Until we
1: were printing. And then it took several months until we were all able to move into the building. We built the press room first.
0: And how was the staff during that time? Just one
1: big. Team working around the clock, so it built camaraderie and teamwork. And for me, I think it really helped instill that get the paper out mentality that I've really had ever since.
0: And so it really uh, then fostered your spirit later on. Yes, going and through that. I think
1: everybody that works at the newspaper has a. Well, you work on deadline. You start over every morning with the press run around midnight. What's changed is now everything does not revolve around that press time. We're 24-hour news operation now. We were always a 24-hour operation with carriers out throughout the evening, but now, you know, they are aware and they're posting news on the website throughout the day and night,
0: every day. You have served as publisher for the past 20 years. Tell us about your role as publisher and define what is a publisher. I'm glad you
1: asked because so many people confuse publisher and editor. The editor runs the newsroom. The publisher runs the business, the newspaper. So our management team, we do believe in longevity. They have over 250 years combined experience together. But the management team reports to the publisher. I make sure that we run smoothly, as smoothly as we can, and have the resources for the various departments to get the job done.
0: And the resources include advertising and subscriptions. Correct. But at a time when we have a lot of competition because of online Mm -hmm. and Google ads and different things like that, how are you able to maintain and grow the business? Okay, first of all,
1: I would say we've always had competition. Even if you're the only newspaper in town, which in most towns and cities, there's usually one newspaper, we always had competition for those marketing dollars, whether it was Yellow Pages, radio, billboards, TV, high school yearbooks, whatever. We just have new competition now through the internet, but the internet is also providing us with more products to sell. So there will be this point in time where as much of our revenue comes from the digital side as the print side. It won't be long. So we've been, I think, pretty resourceful. We don't have the biggest retail base in a community the size of Orangeburg or our three-county area as you do in a metropolitan, a big city daily but we have many partnerships in place. We celebrated Nurses Week. We did a Stories of Honor series highlighting veterans who live in our area, and we had sponsors for those initiatives. We've done more events than we ever did 20, 30, 40 years ago, and the revenue comes from advertising and circulation, and we We've gone to a membership model with our subscribers, so we don't call them subscribers anymore. We call them members and their various levels of benefits.
0: Similar to public media. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you see your business in 10 years from now? Well, that's an interesting question, and
1: I really cannot predict the future, but what I see is a possible progression in this business. And I've said many times, we're not just a newspaper anymore newspaper connotes the old product. I could see that the newspaper becomes more of a specialty product, not printed every day of the week. Honestly, we have never charged enough for a daily newspaper through the years. The price has to continue to go up. Think about it. We have a whole workforce producing this product every day. We print it and then we deliver it to your door, and we were never charging enough. So we've had price increases. I see it becoming probably a couple times a week product, way down the road now, not not anytime soon, geared more for a specific market, and the digital, the newspaper's website will likely become the mass medium that the newspaper had been.
0: Because you have the dual parts of revenue, the advertising and now subscriber you call membership. Correct. Will those continue those two parts of the revenue? I would think so. And the old subscriber or member, there's a print
1: subscription which brings the digital, but there's also a digital only subscription. So we have many options of how to subscribe.
0: You talked about local and the importance of local. We have probably more information available at at your fingertips. But why is local important when you have all this information?
1: Well, how much have you seen on network or cable TV or the national newspapers about Orangeburg, South Carolina or Bamberg or St. Matthews? We are the journalism who cover those areas. I am not trying to give you the news out of Iran or San Francisco or Washington. We do commit a page at least per day to national and world news, but we're out there covering local news because nobody else is. Now, you see a lot of so-called news on social media. We are journalists. We're going to do our best to report it objectively and fairly and look up the facts and not print or post everything we hear.
0: There's, there's a concern, as newspapers have contracted, that people are not as well informed about local, especially government, and that that can have an effect in terms of voting and holding public leaders accountable.
1: Well, that's one of the initial roles of a newspaper, was that watchdog function. Not an adversarial role, but a watchdog role. We take that seriously. You know, we do the best we can to cover the different town council school boards. In fact, we use a network of independent correspondents. Um, Not the old society columns, but they go to the town council meetings. Orangeburg County has 17 municipalities. That's a lot of town council meetings. I can't hire enough reporters to cover that much, but we can contract the people who live in these towns to report for us on these meetings. So, you know, we do take it seriously. Again, it's what we do. We look for the local news, and we don't look for all bad news or negative news. We look for the positive news, celebrating things like Nurses Week and telling veterans' stories, and you know, the features, the storytelling. So that is also part of it.
0: What assurance can you give the reader or user of online content that the news coming from your newspaper is going to be credible, fair, and balanced? Because
1: we work hard at making sure that it is every day. If we don't have credibility, we don't have anything. If we have a mistake, we
0: quickly correct it. And what would you tell a young person on how to navigate through all of this information, some of which is fake on the Internet? I've used the word mission before describing what we do. We really
1: take it as a mission. And I found a quote from Jeff Bezos, Amazon, Washington Post, and I've used it, I've paraphrased it, not because I think he's a great newspaper man because he owns the Washington Post, but I do think he's a pretty good businessman. And he said, missionaries make the best products because they care. We care. Now there has to be a business side. He said that too. The business has to make sense because you've got to fund the resources to make your product. But what motivates us is putting out a meaningful product. I think community newspapers are meaningful. I think they're vital. And I think our mission is to provide credible, correct, fair information to our community so the citizens can be informed, make better decisions, and hopefully influence quality of life in the community.
0: That's our mission. In 2017, you were named as Lee Enterprises Group Publisher with direct management of seven newspapers outside of this area, including Orangeburg, but also outside. Way outside this
1: area, uh, five of those papers are in the Pacific time zone. So that's been a challenge, but three in California, one in the state of Washington, one in Arizona, and a sister paper in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. So we've learned each other's time zones and the different state laws that affect each state differently. It's been an experience. And what does that say for
0: Orangeburg, South Carolina, to run these
1: newspapers? Well, I think it says a lot about the Times and Democrat and Orangeburg, that we produce good people. The Times and Democrat, I will have to brag a minute, has been a finalist for Lee Enterprise's Enterprise of the Year, two out of the last three years. And they narrow it down out of 48 dailies to four or five. So we lost one year to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which is the largest Lee Enterprise paper, and to Munster, Indiana, which is right outside of Chicago, which had actually been the flagship paper of Howard Publications before it was purchased by Lee Enterprises. So we're still hoping for that Enterprise of the Year one year, but Orangeburg has been a pretty good newspaper for Lee Enterprises. And we are divided into tiers by size, tiers one, two, and three, three being the smallest. So I'm a tier three group publisher.
0: Do you think this might be a model for other newspapers to have this group ownership and maybe not out of a major metropolitan area?
1: Well, I hope so. I hope that it works well enough that, for one thing, I relate to the other smaller papers. Not that somebody at a bigger paper would not relate, but $500 ad sale in Orangeburg means a lot more than a $500 ad sale in St. Louis. So I think I can relate to their problems and their successes and be an advocate for the smaller community newspaper.
0: Tell us about your growing up in North South Carolina and if there was one particular item or memory that could be considered a turning point for you.
1: Well, I grew up in a family of business people. Wholesale and retail, and learned what work meant, that it was a natural thing to do. Not the newspaper
0: business. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Retail. Retail. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's why I relate to our advertisers, I think. I went to work at the local drugstore when I was in high school, but even before that, I almost hate to share this memory, but my family had a vacant building downtown in North, and I went to my grandmother and mother, and I had a yard sale every Saturday in this building when I was 12. (laughs) And it taught me entrepreneurship, I guess, at an early age. I would have to brag about the school in North. I finished North High School, and I went on to the University of South Carolina. And I will put in a plug for ETV. We had classes on ETV when I was in high school in North, and I was as well prepared as a freshman at Carolina as anybody from any bigger school.
0: Was there a teacher who gave you the most inspiration?
1: I had a teacher
0: my senior year
1: who had just graduated from college, Bonnie Holstein, and she really taught me more about writing and themes and plots of writing than just diagramming sentences. She was a really good English teacher. I don't think I had a bad teacher in North, but I think having that teacher my senior year really helped express myself.
0: With writing and communication.
1: Which is vital no matter what area you go into to be able to communicate.
0: That's right, especially newspapers. Work-life balance is something that many women talk about and are challenged by. How do you uh, face work-life balance?
1: Well, through the years, my husband and I, and by the way, I started to work two weeks after we were married, so I've had the same husband and the same job for these <laughs> these many years as well. Two daughters, and he was a great father and partner to me. So, when one of us couldn't make a field trip, the other one did, and he probably went on more field trips than I did. But living in North, it's a slower pace, I guess, but it wasn't an issue. I remember thinking through the years that time was the most precious resource. Time meant more than the salary because I wanted that time with the kids, and we managed to make that time. We have a farm, we had horses, we'd go horseback riding in the afternoons. They both played sports. I said we followed them from Beaufort, South Carolina to Cleveland, Ohio, watching basketball games. So we, you make the effort and you can make it work.
0: What would your advice be for young people today? Work hard. I
1: think you can achieve anything. I mean, North South Carolina to Orangeburg, South Carolina, to managing seven newspapers. I think just being willing to put in the effort is the advice I would also tell them to learn to type with more than their thumbs and (laughs) communicate.
0: Do you have an overriding life vision? This program is about women visionaries.
1: I guess the life vision goes right along with my profession is just to be honest and fair and objective. And again, work hard. I enjoy working. I am asked frequently, when are you going to retire? I don't want to retire yet. It, it's still too much fun. And as long as I can do the job. But if I don't see it, I want somebody to tell me if I start slipping in the job. But, you know, right now, I don't see retirement. I hear it's a good concept, but, <laughs> but you're not ready fun. for me yet.
0: How do you define leadership? Leadership, you have to be able
1: to make decisions, hard decisions and not rush into them, but make them pretty quickly. And you always hear lead by example. You've got to be willing to do what you ask somebody else to do. I do like to be my own little handy person at home, so, you know, when I needed a wall patched in my office, I just did it. If my trash needs emptying and that person whose job it is is not there, I'll take it upstairs. I don't think any job that we ask anybody to do is below my
0: doing it too. And that goes along with the question, what do you think makes you a good leader? What single factor? I'll go back to the fairness issue. A
1: hard decision is hard, but as long as you're making it fairly, I think it makes that hard decision easier to communicate.
0: So you really see leadership as decision maker, as a critical part of it. Yes. In 2020, we mark the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote. In your words, why is it important for women to vote, now and historically?
1: Okay, I would not separate women from the rest of the human race. I think it's important for everyone to vote. We've even written editorials. Yes, it's your right to vote. It's your privilege. I say it's your obligation to vote. If you want to have a say in what's going on, in your quality of life, in the decisions that other people make on your behalf, you need to vote. It's amazing to me that there was ever a time women
0: could not vote. I see no difference in people. I guess it's the thinking about the anniversary and the hard fought struggles that women had to achieve that right. And we need to acknowledge that,
1: thank them They earned this right for us. And too often we take too many things for granted, I think. So again, all that leads me to say, we need to do our part now and take it as an obligation to vote, to honor their work.
0: Finally, you're managing seven newspapers. You're based in Orangeburg. What do you see as your biggest workplace challenge? The workplace
1: challenge, I guess, is keeping the resources coming on the business side, so as not to diminish the newsroom. You know, that's the last place we want to have any cuts. We want our reporters on the street. We want our editors going through the copy. And we want to still put out the best, most complete product that we can. As I said, we're still seven days a week printed product, which is becoming more and more the exception. So the challenge is to continue to do the best job with the news product that we can, while facing the economy, the resources, the advertising dollars being shared across many platforms now.
0: Thank you very much. Kathy Hughes.
1: Well, thank you. I'm honored to be talking to you today.
0: You've been listening to Women Vision SC, a podcast production of South Carolina Public Radio. You can find video stories and other resources on know-it-all and scetv.org. The producer of Women Vision SC for South Carolina Public Radio and the podcast series is A.T. Shire. William Richardson is the producer-director of the television series. Zhao Yu is associate producer and Becca Turner is production assistant. Tyora Moody is web manager. Bobby Kennedy is director of special projects. For SCE-TV and South Carolina Public Radio, I'm Linda O'Brien. Thanks for joining us.